0: You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.
1: This is Gail Trotter, host of Right in D.C. Today, our guest is my friend, Beverly Hallberg. She's the founder and president of District Media Group. She's an expert media coach, lecturer, and public speaker with more than 18 years of experience. She's trained members of Congress, but don't hold that against her, CEO policy wonks, reporters, nonprofit and movement leaders, and politicos. Beverly is a guest columnist for The Daily Signal, The Washington Examiner, and The Hill, and she's a frequent contributor on Fox News and CNN. And in fact, Beverly and I were on Media Buzz together just a couple weeks ago. It was a wonderful surprise to see you there. It was was fabulous. (laughs) I always love it when I see friends in the green room. Beverly lives on Capitol Hill with her English Bulldog, and you can follow her on Instagram and see pictures of her adorable dog, and she's a Golden State Warriors fanatic. Beverly, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Gail. There's so much to talk about in D.C. right now, but you did recently put a tweet out there that just caught my attention, so I want to start with that. You talked about how you arrived in D.C., many years ago and you only had $400 to your name can you set up the story a little bit for us and and tell us why you wanted to put that message out there well there's been so much
0: discussion about I think even socialism these days and whether or not the American dream is dead and when Kristen Gillibrand came out and announced her candidacy um, for president which she just did she she alluded to that the American dream was still dead, so, or is dead. And so I wanted to respond to that because I am a perfect example of somebody that didn't grow up with a lot of money. Um, I did have some help from my parents to help pay for college, but I paid for a decent amount. And when I graduated college at age 20, I came to DC, had $400, and that was all I had. Um, And I was able to make it first paycheck to paycheck, um, but then building and growing from there into the business that I have today, District Media Group, so 18 years later. So when we talk about the American dream, one of the things that I think is important to tell people is, first of all, you can do it. So when people say the American dream is dead, that is not true. And the second thing we should encourage people in this. So I think it's damaging to say the American dream is dead, not only because it's factually incorrect but also I think it's it could prevent future entrepreneurs from from wanting to start their own business and make their own way so um, I think this country one of those reasons the country this country is great is no matter whether you're female or male no matter um, what ethnicity you are um, you can start a business and so even when people ask me questions about what is it like being a female business owner I always make the emphasis that I'm just a business owner um, happen who happens to be female but in this country whether you're male or female regardless of your background you can make a way for yourself and I think that's an important message for us to make sure gets out there because sadly especially with socialism on the rise and talks about that um, the American dream could die in the future and so we do need to make sure that we show it's alive and it's well but we have to keep it strong or or, um, our country strong so that future entrepreneurs have opportunity.
1: I'm gonna play devil's advocate and I'm gonna pretend that I am the Senator, Gilbrand, that you just referred to. And I'm gonna say, well, that's nice for you, Beverly. You just admitted that that was 18 years ago. The world has changed in the last 18 years, and you can't emphasize with the struggle of the young people who now are getting out of college with this huge debt, and we have these plans to try and make college cheaper, funded by the federal government. We have these great ideas for um, you know, family medical leave for young women who are trying to get ahead in their careers. Really, the answer uh, for, Any problems for young people right now is more government intervention and that's great for you that you were able 18 years to take advantage 18 years ago to take advantage of that but the the situation is different now and how can you not be sympathetic to people in that situation
0: totally I'm sympathetic to people in that situation and I think when people talk about the problems of why Um, Young people especially don't have the American dream. It's not because they don't have the opportunity to be whatever they want to be and to start whatever they would like to start. But we focus so much, and understandably so, on what you just mentioned there, which is college debt. The problem is, is we've told people, or young people for so long, that they have to get all all these degrees, but they never have said, what career do you want to have and what jobs are available? So I think we have sold, so many young people lie, saying, yeah, get a bunch of degrees, saddle up the debt, hey we're going to loan it all this money to you even though you may struggle to pay it back. I think we've given false incentives to young people who then they get out of college and they say, what am I gonna do with a women's studies degree? How am I gonna earn a living based off that? And so the the problem that we've made, and and this was something that my parents helped me navigate, I had wonderful mentors, is I graduated with zero college debt because I didn't go to a big Ivy League school and I worked my way through it and I, I, I am one of those blessed people that didn't didn't have debt and didn't have to pay that off. Um, the other side to that too is is that I'm actually pretty uneducated in comparison to many people in D.C. I only have a bachelor's degree. I yeah. work with lots of people who have PhDs and, and very, very smart people. And degrees are important for certain careers. Um, for example, Gail, you're a lawyer. A law degree is really important for what you're doing. Right. Um, that's essential if you're a doctor you're gonna have to pay a lot to go to school yeah. Um. so degrees do matter but I think we focus and DC is really bad when it comes to this we focus so much on the degrees we, we have forgot to ask what are you gonna do with that degree and so I'm hoping that there is going to be a little bit of backing away that degrees are always the answer and saying what jobs are available where's the country going and what type of career can you have and and I grew up in Silicon Valley so I was used to people not getting degrees and actually having really great jobs because they figured out that computers were were the direction and they taught themselves. They went to trade schools, if you wanna call it that. And so I, I just think that the way government mentality is, is there, there's always a set way to do things, and that's not what the American dream is. The American dream is, don't saddle yourself with debt and figure out what you're good at and how you can find a market for what you're good at. And that's what Democrats, in my mind, um, do not break out of. It's, it's really this mold that they think there's only one way to work, um, and I think that's a mistake.
1: And you are a successful womanpreneur or entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. either way you want to say it. And I'm curious with District Media Group, what your average day is like in your business.
0: Yeah, it's it really every day is so different. So, um, the majority of what District Media Group does is meet with clients and we help them communicate effectively. Our our bread and butter is preparing people for media interviews, but we also help people with public speaking and shark tank competitions and TED Talk speeches and just overview uh, overall just communication tips. So, um, Um, day for me it really varies Um, you mentioned in the bio I do a lot of TV hits so my day may start at 3 a.m. in the morning if I have a 4 a.m. TV hit come home um, take care of the dog eat a little breakfast, drink coffee, stay up on the news. I try to tweet in the morning. It's good to keep Twitter um, active and have have stuff to say because I could see more TV hits. Usually have a meeting thrown in here and there and then maybe a training session in the afternoon. But the one thing about being an entrepreneur is that you're pretty much working All the time but you can do things for yourself during the day so even times I go to the gym it may be at 10 30 in the morning because I'm working that evening Um, so it's it's really a very fluid schedule and no day is the same I don't start the same time every day I don't finish the same time every day so I it, it it it's a lot of it's a lot to juggle as far as the calendar goes, and you have to keep it all straight. But it's great; it works really, really well for me, and it's wonderful to go sh- grocery shopping at two in the afternoon. That <laughs> sounds
1: like never a boring day. No, it's never a boring day. It's always busy, but it's good. There are many aspiring political pundits across the country, and I think probably Washington D.C. has the highest. Accumulation of people who want to be political pundits. When you're speaking to people who are interested in that, maybe just in an amateur basis, but you know, you just go out and you're talking to people about what you do, what your business is, and they ask, "What's it really like to be on TV?" What is your answer to them?
0: It's not as glamorous as it seems, (laughs) and you probably (laughs) feel the same way, Um, Gail. what people don't realize and it depends on on what city you're based in but so many of the shows are based out of new york so the majority of the interviews that i do or my clients do if they're based in dc is to not be at the anchor desk but you go into a small room somebody mics you up puts the earpiece in your ear called the ifb and you sit there in a cold room in the dark with lights shining brightly on your face staring straight into a camera for about 10 minutes before you go on and then you have your five-minute segment, and then you walk out and it's done. So as far as what, what I think people think the experience is like, um, I've brought my family before, and, and I think they're always surprised like, oh, it's you just sit in here by yourself, and then you do the segment <laughs> and you leave. Um, my favorite part though is, and I'm sure you're the same way, Gail, but you, I love the green room. I love talking with people who come in. A lot of the people are, are clients of mine, or former clients of mine, um, people who I'm friends with. And you develop a really, really good relationship with hair and makeup. So I love the women over, especially at Fox News, where I am most frequently developed friendships with um, the women who work there and do your hair and makeup. And um, so it's fun. I really, really enjoy it. But Probably, I mean, the main thing that you have to be asked a a producer once what they're looking for when it comes to guests and they said people to be very, very nimble. So quick on your feet because uh, as you know, often you don't get topics till maybe two, three hours prior. Sometimes topics last minute. So you have to be very much up on the news, figure out what's
1: going on and realize your topic could change at any second. Do you feel that it's stressful at all, or if you had so much experience doing it now that it's not a stressful experience?
0: I I would say I'm always, I want to say stressful. Um, the only times for me that it seems a little bit stressful is if there is breaking news and something changes last minute or let's say I have a TV hit and I have clients right up until I have to get to the studio and I haven't had time to watch the news that day. So you're trying very, very quickly to figure out here, here's the topic they want me to talk about and getting yourself as informed as possible. So sometimes those situations can be stressful. Um, but usually if I, you know, get the topic, have a couple hours I've kept up on the news so I just just know okay I need to get some data points or the angle that I want to take on this um, but not really too stressful the more that you do it it's, it's kind of similar to public speaking I do a lot of public speaking and it's the greatest fear that people have you know people are more fearful right. speaking in front of an audience even more so than they say dying <laughs> like it's <laughs> Yeah, for spiders and dying. Um, and of course, I was nervous when I started doing it. When I started doing TV, I was, of course, nervous. But it's one of those skills that you just—if you're constantly doing it, it just becomes your norm. It becomes what's normal for you. Right. Um, so it, it can be stress. It's always going to be stressful when you first start. Uh, but the more that you do it, the more it just becomes your day to day, and it, you become comfortable in it. I mean, have you found the same experience
1: to be true? absolutely and actually i will share at this point that how beverly and i know each other is she was my first very first media trainer i went to a workshop that she put on with i think there were maybe six people total in the class and it was so different tv preparation and what you say in an interview from anything i had learned through years of debating public speaking being a lawyer all of the training that i had had it was completely flipped. You never build up to something. You have to start with your main point because if you don't, you may not. You may never have a chance to get it in.
0: <laughs> yeah, how long ago was that, by the way? I was trying to remember how long ago it was that we met. Do you
1: remember? I think it was in the the winter or the spring of 2012, right when the Obamacare decision was about to be oh. handed down by the Supreme Court. And that was when I started Getting more involved in the the TV aspect of uh, you know interviewing and policy discussions. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I, you were just mentioning how it's so different. I think especially people who um, have been practicing law, it's it's a, a real change. It's a one eighty from how they normally speak because when you're when you're in court, you have to be complete in your answer and you have to answer questions that are there you have to be very much on topic in media interviews it's about you don't have enough time to be complete you have to just give the top line message and then don't answer the question thrown at you find a way to pivot to what you want to talk about so it's a very different way of communicating and you're exactly right you don't have much time i mean if you have a five minute segment and you're debating somebody, so that's three people total in the segment, host two guests, you being one of them, you probably are only gonna get two questions, therefore two answers. And maybe you get a third at the very end of the segment where they want you to be really short. So you really have two 30 second answers to give. So if you're waiting, if you're kind of gearing up for, all right, I'm going to give my big conclusion at the end of the segment, it's already done. The segment's already over. (laughs) So It's really forcing you at the very top to say, why does this matter? And why should people care? And um, that's just a different discipline than how we normally communicate with people. So a lot about TV is not intuitive people sometimes think oh so and so is just a natural on camera and some people have a better knack for it than others but it's because they've practiced or they've done it enough um, that they become good at it you
1: have to get used to the flow of tv which is very different than normal communication And I found it much more difficult than I expected to. And I'm curious, let's take an issue and role play a little bit. Let's say that I'm President Trump and I come to you, Beverly, and I say, I need help on messaging for the wall and the shutdown crisis. And my, um, as President Trump, I'm talking to you and I say, Beverly, the things that I'm concerned about are number one, the national security aspects of this. Number two, the enforcement of the rule of law, and number three, I made a campaign promise. I need to make sure that I am, you know, actually standing up for what I said that I would for the people who voted for me. How should I craft this to be most effective at, um, you know, engaging in the in the public sphere about this?
0: So one of the things you have to consider is who is it you're defending? So you even see this right now where um, the president is talking a lot about angel families, as he should. Um, He's showing who he's defending based on bad actors who have come into this country illegally. And I think he should. But that last point I think is important. I think this whole shutdown, one of the things that's really been really important, this is something he's talked about all along. Um, So I think it would be fine for him to start an answer by saying, This is something I promised to you if I was to be your president and while other elected officials, Democrats included, agreed with this, my perspective just a few years ago, just a few months ago, even though they don't want to stay true to what they once said, I will because I know how important this is because every day I hear from families who've lost a loved one due to somebody who was here illegally. And then I would go to an example of that. Um, also tying proof to it, so stats to it as well. Um, but it's always better to talk about or, or to be a defender of people. Who, who does this matter to? Um, he could even talk about being, I love it when he talks about border security because that's be defending them and what they right. say, their safety as well, talking to states, so the governor of states, um, what are are the people facing down on those states? But one of the things that the president does have going for him
1: is that this is something he's talked about the entire time. Right. It's not a Johnny-come-lately issue for him. Yeah.
0: The the big mistake that he made was saying that Mexico was going to pay for it, and now he's uh, kind of backtracking on that and saying, well, I didn't explain exactly how indirectly they would pay for it. I'm like, well, now you're getting into semantics. When you have to get into semantics,
1: you've kind of lost it. Right. Um, so should he just not engage those questions at all? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, he either needs to
0: say, look, it's an issue. It may be, take a long time to, to get some funding for this from Mexico right now. It's enough of a crisis that we need to deal with it. So I'd be fine if he kind of distanced himself from that. I don't think it was a smart comment to make from the beginning. I was never for that <laughs>
1: Right. Because <laughs>
0: really happen, And I also, I personally disagree with the president on a lot of his trade policies. So I know he's thinking about this through trade, um, but that becomes too complex of an issue. <laughs> right. um, I, I think him trying to, to back away from it, not necessarily come out and say I was wrong, um, but just say that the situation is urgent. And as Americans,
1: we need to focus on this now while we're working on deals with Mexico. To I me, that, that is me. excellent advice. Beverly, you are definitely a D.C. insider. Do you have any major forecasts for us of what's over the horizon in 2019? What should people outside of the D.C. area be looking at in national politics that these things are really at the forefront of uh, issues that are going to impact them and that we're thinking about going into 2019?
0: Unfortunately, I don't think many issues are going to be dealt with this year um, because you do have now Democrats taking over the House. So what we can expect is a lot of entertaining interviews in the next year, because once shut down, the shutdown ends, which I don't know when it will end. I've said for, from the beginning, I think this is going to last a while, um, is that it's going to turn into impeachment. So I'm going to hear a lot about impeachment talks moving up. I also think what's going to be really interesting is just watching the different Democrats that are going to come out as as contenders to Trump. Um, It's going to be a really, really big Democratic field. So they're trying to be even more creative on how to show that they're relatable and just like you. And some of those (laughs) those campaign announcements have backfired, in my opinion. And I think what what people should also take note of is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Now, I disagree with her in every way on her policies. But I think one of the mistakes is for conservatives who disagree with her. to not take her seriously because behind, she, she has so many Twitter followers. She has such a Twitter huge- followers. Like two million Twitter followers? It's yeah. a crazy number. It's more, I believe it's more than all the top Democrat leaders combined, significantly more. So I think one of the things conservatives need to do is definitely engage on why we stand for something different, but don't dismiss her because she is likable. And young people are looking into the area of socialism. And I think if we dismiss it, it will be to our own demise if we dismiss her as somebody who um, is not not serious. Um, I
1: interviewed Andy Ferguson last week. He's a former writer at the Weekly Standard. Great guy, very brilliant guy. And we were talking about the phenomenon of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as well. And I have Andy's quote here. He said, I love her. I think she's fantastic. I follow her on Instagram. I like her whole affect. I think she's just a wonderful representation of that slice of the Democratic Party. And I wish we had more charisma on the Republican side that not like her, but at least somebody who kind of understood the show business of politics as perfectly as she does. End quote. I asked him. Do you think there's anyone on the right side of the political aisle who has the potential for that? Is it innate? Is it something that can be learned? And I'm curious, do you think, Beverly, if there's anybody on the right side of the aisle who has that kind of charisma that she does? And if not, is there somebody who can cultivate it?
0: She has charisma that I think is authentic to her, and it's going to be hard to replicate that. But one person on the right who stands out to me is somebody who... I think played off culture really well is Dan Crenshaw, the new congressman, um, who ended up going on Saturday Night Live after being mocked by Pete Davidson, one of the hosts of Saturday Night Live. I love that he engaged, was self-deprecating, made jokes. I think he's someone who can reach out to young people. He's younger himself. Um, different vibe, of course, than um, AOC, as she's known, but somebody who I think is willing to engage in culture and doesn't look awkward doing it. I don't think you, you want to to have the right force it. It's got to be people who are younger and understand social media and understand culture to do it. So he's somebody who, who I'd be looking to to see how um, as he moves into office, not just legislatively, what he does, but also how he engages with the media.
1: And, I, and I'm hopeful that it's going to be good and we're going to see a lot more of him. Two final questions. Yeah. You moderated a, a workshop on podcasting a few months ago. I did. It is such an easy way for people to jump into the conversation. There aren't gatekeepers like we used to have. There's a way to get your message out there. And even if you have only 10 people who listen to you, it's a way to contribute to the conversation on these nat- national controversial issues. What tips would you have for podcasters who want to uh, start it off, you know, not not experienced people, but people who just have always said, I want to start podcasting. First of all, it's just
0: making sure that you are yourself and you're conversational. I know sometimes people get nervous and they think, well, I'm taking this seriously, and so I have to be serious. You no know, podcasts are about showing your personality, so have fun with it, first of all. Um, and the second thing would be is try to have consistency, because um, one of the ways you can build, build your audience is when they know that once a week, we're going to have a podcast come out. So, but, but be reasonable about the time frame because they do take time and they do t- take work. So yeah, be yourself, be conversational and also be consistent with, with how regular the episodes come out.
1: Final question. Yeah. This is the right in DC podcast. So I have to ask you being a transplant, not a native Washingtonian, right. do you like DC? And if so, what do you like about it? What are some insider places that you could tell us about?
0: i do love dc i've been here 18 years now originally from california um i do love it the city has changed a lot since i've been here the restaurant scene is amazing um and i'm a big art gallery person so one of my favorite places right now is a new art gallery called art tech house which is interactive art so um it's like as your hands move the art itself changes it's like light shows and it's it's a different it's a different um installation every quarter every season um so i'm big into to art shows and i'm also big into sports my golden state warriors come into town um next week so i'll be going to to watch them play the wizard so that's another place that i go if people
1: so want to follow you beverly where yeah, can they the find tip. you online
0: or where can i find me online yeah they can find me so our website is districtmediagroup.com
1: you can find me on twitter
0: at DC and on Instagram, just Beverly Hallberg. So I would love to have you follow me and feel free to ask me any questions on social media that you may have.
1: Thank you so much for joining us, Beverly. Thanks for having me. It was fun. I'm Gail Trotter. You can follow me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can support this show on Patreon. This is Right in DC.
0: You're right in D.C. with Gail Trotter.